following podcast contains spoilers and words like fuck, fuck, and fuck. We watch it. Hello everybody and welcome back to We Watched A Thing. You wanted him, you got him. Back with me again is the wonderful Mr. Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. How you doing, buddy? I see beer, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good little good little uh, spoiler there, letting people know what we're doing, mate. <laughs> I, I like that. And they walk around not knowing their beers. <laughs> How you going, Billy? I'm so glad to be back. Uh, mate, I'm really good, actually. I'm good. Just, you know, living that life, doing that thing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, yeah. we've recorded this well in advance. So, hey, man, it's crazy that thing that happened, isn't it? Wasn't that crazy? I know, right. Can you believe the politics at the moment? I cannot believe the politics <laughs> at the moment. And those recent sporting results, my God, I did not see that coming. Me neither. I think, uh, let me look into the future. I think this is coming out like four or five weeks after we record it. So, yeah, I mean, how about that weather at the moment? We're coming into summer. It's real good stuff. <laughs> it is really good stuff. And that that celebrity scandal, uh, you know, that person, he or herself has got themselves into such a predicament. <laughs> I, I see you're a, you're a watcher of The Office as well. <laughs> uh, uh, what started off as a casual observation has now turned into having my wife and me rewatch every season about 40 fucking times oh. at this point. I, I can't help it. It's our, it's our go-to. We've had a, hard, a tough day of parenting. I don't feel like yeah. watching a movie. Okay, well, let's watch four hours of The Office instead. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I made myself a playlist which just has like The Office, Friends, Family Guy, a couple of other shows. I just hit shuffle on it and I just sit there comatose eating bags of chips until it's time to fall asleep and it's the best <laughs> just a quick text of the wife come scrape me off the couch again babe i'm done yeah <laughs> so you i guess quite a while ago now you and i spoke about uh Shyamalan's latest effort old yes and in that conversation we kind of discussed whether or not the six sense really holds up has he always been kind of a crummy writer were we just was the wool pulled over our eyes by the performances and the twists and all that. So we thought it'd be fun to go back and, and revisit The Sixth Sense. When was the last time you watched this film? I would say that I haven't rewatched this in its entirety since the early 2000s. Yeah, I reckon I'm the same. I loved this film. I remember seeing this in the cinema twice, and I know that I've seen it at least once since then. But yeah, I reckon we're coming on a good 15 years at least. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of these films where it's like, you sort of, once you know the twist, it's, I don't know, like, unlike Fight Club and unlike some other of these films, when you know the twist, it's still immensely rewatchable to go back and watch this. This one I yeah. felt like I was done with. I felt like, you know, I know the twist. Yeah, I get, you know, if you watch it again, you don't really, you, you, you can see all the parts that, you know, are very obvious that he, yeah. you know, spoiler alert for a film that's 27 years old, <laughs> that Bruce Willis <laughs> is dead the entire time. Like, you can, you can see that, you know, like, it's very well hinted at and all that sort of stuff. But there was a part of me that was like, I feel just done. i just done with it. Yeah. You know, just done. Yeah. I agree. It's funny. On this rewatch, I really thought to myself, you know what? This is a two-watch film. Like, the first watch is to enjoy it, to have that twist take you by surprise. The second watch is to go back and look at those little hints and be like, oh, yeah. Anything after that, all you pick up is like, well, that doesn't make sense. That that doesn't make sense. <laughs> What's happening here? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are, of course, talking about The Sixth Sense, which is a 1999 American supernatural psychological thriller written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, 
and Tony Collette. And what is it about, Sam? Uh, Bruce Willis plays a child psychologist who, uh, after celebrating a an award win, a former patient of his breaks into his house and shoots him. We then pick up possibly a year, six months or so on down the track and everything's sort of gone to rubbish for him. His wife no longer speaks to him and he tries to make amends for failing that kid so hard by finding this other kid who's deeply troubled and basically helping him. And as we discover, that other kid sees dead people. Yes. Legitimately. <laughs> so this is the... F- I didn't actually realise that Shyamalan had made films before this, to be honest. I always thought this was his debut, which it isn't. What? Really? You what? thought... Yeah, you th- yeah, okay, hang on, all right. I didn't even bother keeping the Wikipedia page up because I was like, no, no, surely I'm the only idiot here. <laughs> no, I-, I thought this was debut. Are you about to throw a whole bunch of student films at me, Billy? No one cares about that. No, mate, no, they, they, are, they are real films. In fact, one of them was even distributed by Miramax. Um, wow. So in 1992, he made a film called Praying with Anger. Uh, so that is his directorial debut. Wow. Um, and then, then in 98, he made a film called Wide Awake, um, which stars Dennis Leary and Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> oh, household names, those two. They're just the household pinnacle names. of acting, yeah. So, I mean, clearly an actual thing. <laughs> uh, and yet I, and uh, seemingly you as well, and I guess the rest of the world, I always thought this was his debut. <laughs> I sort of suspected he might have had one before this because it feels pretty insane to go, you know, to have Bruce Willis in your directorial debut. I was mm. thinking he must have, you know, like Fincher directed a whole bunch of music videos before he became a director. So he was able to sort yeah. of command a bit of something behind him. Yes, I'm filling into that Topher role right now of going on about <laughs> David Fincher. But at the same time, like I, I suspected maybe he had made something, but I didn't know for sure. It's, it's, it's sort of obviously put him on the map, you know, it sort of made him the, even the person that everybody started talking about for the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. And as you and I discussed when we spoke about old, definitely the film that established his, I guess, his motifs. You know, he he was the twist guy after this film. And <laughs> subsequently, it's all he's done, even through to today. He just can't help himself but throw a twist in. He can't. And the sad part is that you, as the audience, know that he's going to do that. And so you're yeah. sitting there waiting for it. The other sad part that I've discovered, having rewatched this film, is that you know he's going to throw a terrible cameo of himself into the film. Oh, and now yeah. you sit there looking for it. <laughs> I legitimately did not remember him being in this. Uh, and it's hard. Uh, uh, okay, I'll give him this. It takes an incredible amount of talent to be in the same scene as Bruce Willis and look like the unemotional one. <laughs> Yeah, disinterested have... one. That takes a hell of a lot of talent, especially for Bruce Willis today. Amelia was nice to see Bruce Willis trying back back when this film was made. That was awesome. But yeah, M Night Shyamalan, horrendous cameo, absolutely horrendous. I was going to say I was surprised because I remember this being obviously the days when Bruce Willis was still trying. Yeah, I was surprised at how bad his performance was, and I think some of that comes down to the dialogue not being great at times, but the direction's really solid, and there are times where I'm like, wow, Bruce, this is this is what you're giving this? Yeah. There's, there's, he's never been known for being a dramatic actor. I mean, he's tried his hardest, but even still in this film, there's moments where you see glimpses of John McClane of like kind of a cheeky sort of, ha you know, jack of all trades, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's just a one of the lads type thing. And he, he like, mm. he, he can't do drama. That's the thing. He can't yeah. do drama. When he's trying to convey emotion with his face, 
it's, you know, what are you expecting? <laughs> really? Like, it's blood out of stone. You know, he's got the stoned face. <laughs> that yeah. just, d- just doesn't change. Is this, do you, from your memory, is this the last film where he had hair? And even then, it was like rapidly escaping itself throughout the entirety of this film. In different <laughs> yeah. scenes, even, it was changing its yeah. natural position. But I feel like this is the last film I remember him having hair in. But even still, like Pulp Fiction, he's like rocking a shaven head, like mostly shaven yeah, head. And that's it's true. mostly on the way out then. Oh, there's one shot in particular where he's got this really thin, wispy bit kind of hanging over his head. And it's like, oh, mate, mate, just shave that. <laughs> As someone that went bald young, you just you just give up, man. Deserters must be executed. Get rid of all of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, this is a film that hinges itself entirely. And this is, this is I think, the ballsiest thing about the production of this movie is that it hinges itself entirely on the performance of a child actor. Yes. Like, this film does not work without a decent child in that role. And I know that we're all quick to look back and, you know, mock Haley Joel Osment now, but, I mean, fuck, this is a solid performance. Like, really solid. I, I will say that. I will say that I sent you a video of what I believe to be Haley Joel Osment's greatest <laughs> performance, which if people, I don't want to spoil it for you, just Google Conan and Brian. Walker told me, just just leave it at that and just, just do yourself a favour of watching this tiny scene from Walker, Texas Ranger, in which to- Holly jo- Haley Joel Osment is on. It's it's phenomenal. But at the same time, like for a young actor in this role, it's it's really good. Similar to Topher, not a massive fan of child actors, you know, take it or leave it. You might as well just hire a 20-year-old and, you know, put them in there as an 8-year-old and we'll just, just go along with bowl, it just for the sake cutting of- cutting some overalls, nobody will notice. Exactly. <laughs> Put some acne on him and, you know, like a bit of, you yeah. know, like give him some braces. No one's going to know. You know, it's it's for, for the benefit of getting a good performance. Why not just do that? Why not just throw a 20-year-old in there? But there's there's something about him in this that he, like as an eight-year-old or however old he was when he was filming this, like he must have had no idea what the hell was going on. You know, the kid's reading the script and being told to say these absolute nonsensical things. At the same time, he has to go from like a stoic, quiet, subdued, introverted Everyone's picking on me. He's mm. an absolute, you know, psychopath. Like this stuttering Stanley scene. Where the hell did that oh. come from? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually Googled it because I, I was surprised. I actually think he looks a little younger than he is. He's exactly four weeks older than me. Uh, so he was 11 when the film came out. So I'm guessing he was between 10 and 11 when it was shot. Jesus. Um, well done. But yes, yeah, he is playing, I, I believe he's meant to be. Eight. I think they do say that at some point, eight or nine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think, yeah, that stuttering Stanley scene, there, like there are some really solid moments in this film where he gives a hell of a performance where you believe that he is terrified. And you're right. He must have had very little idea of what's going on. One thing that's really nice about the film, thinking back and looking at the production, is that unlike some other horror films that rely a lot on special effects- so much of what happens here is physical that at least he would have had something real to react to and look at, which I think helps a lot. Yeah, the only scene I can think of where he didn't have the benefit of that is the very first scene that we get introduced to the idea of ghosts, 
which is a whole bunch of voices coming from that cabinet at the top of the stairs. Yes. Yeah. Which, You're right. Gotta, which he gets locked in. Yeah, which he gets locked in, but he like walks up the stairs and he can hear people screaming at him and he just gets told to get locked in there and just start screaming, which, uh, you know, I'm not claustrophobic, but I'll tell you what, if somebody locks me in a tiny little cupboard like that, yeah. when I'm about yeah. eight or nine years old, I'm going to start screaming my bloody head <laughs> off as well. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will hand this to this film as well, is the fact that Shyamalan knew not to introduce the ghosts concept too early. I mean, okay, yes, Bruce Willis is a ghost the entire time. Correct. Mm. That is the first ghost that we see on screen. After that, we get the voices at about 45 minutes in. I actually watched, re-watched this with my wife, made her stop it, because I was very surprised that we hadn't had it from so early. But 45 minutes in, we get the voices, and then 55 minutes in, we actually see one of the ghosts. Which I yep. thought, like, for a ghost film, with less than half your runtime left, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. It, it is, actually. And the way they utilise the ghosts is great. Like, they don't all look dead. And that's what makes it work so well, you know. You you have scenes that are kind of horrific in other ways. Like, for example, Misha Barton, when she just starts spewing that stuff in his tent. And there's something kind of shocking about it. I think partially just because she's a child. And, you know, nobody likes to see children spew. Nobody likes cleaning up children spew. You have a kid. You know that. It's uh, horrific. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. Having been spewed up on repetitively for a long time now. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. And there's something so sad about a dead child as well. I just think that that's very, very clever um, that, yeah, half the ghosts- are just people, and that is kind of what's scary about it. Yeah. Like, even just the subtlety of, hey, do you want to see where my dad keeps his gun? And then, you know, oh. the kid turns around and his head's blown out. You're just like, this is... It's like, it's the kind of jump scares in a way, but at the same time, they're not forcibly jump scares with quick edits and cuts. And we talked about this during old, is Shyamalan knows how to linger a camera on someone for way longer than anyone else would. And yeah, there's, there's that's seen, true. Scenes with that with Haley Joel Osment talking to Tony Collette and it just lingers on his face and he's trying to explain something to her or like talk to her and you know, the same same with one of that scenes at the end where they just lingers on Tony Collette when he's talking to her about her, about his grandma or Tony Collette's mother, and they're just lingering, 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 and then they'll have slow pans, they'll f- follow kind of half follow the subject so that it gives you this uneasy feeling like rather than a traditional film pan or following a subject up and down a hallway or um yeah. you know around a corner or something like that it just gives you this like slow pan of them slightly off center which you know tommy was did well in the room but that was only because he had two cameras <laughs> taped together and it wasn't intentional but i can't name any other directors that actually would choose to go out of their way to make these unsettling camera shots it's, it's, it's really good i gotta admit there's there's aspects of this that is like incredibly good filmmaking at the same yeah. time Man, did my score change? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree, actually. And you're exactly right. You know, like there are a few people who are kind of emulating this style now, and it has become a bit of a thing with your kind of off-kilter horror film. You know, you look at Ari Aster, he does a lot of lingering shots. Um, I think we saw it recently with The Invisible Man doing it really well, just camera lingering oh, yeah. for a long amount of time. Um, but as you said, it's amazing how few, in fact, honestly, probably zero jump scares there are in this film. And yet, insanely memorable. Like, I haven't seen this film in 15 years. The let me show you where my dad keeps his gun is something that I have never forgotten. And in my yeah. head, yeah. I, th- I remember that moment being a jump scare. I remember, like, 
I don't remember physically jumping, but I remember being so shocked that in my head, that's what it was. And then rewatching it this time where it's actually very slow. He's just stands there and says it and then turns around quite slowly and you see the bullet hole. Yeah, yeah. It's- it's insane how well parts of this film are put together. And I think that this proves the conversation we had recently that, yes, he's always been a better director than he has been a writer. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to the writing then. And, yes, and as absolutely. you kind of alluded to, the change of scores. Um, yeah, I think on a third watch, this movie falls down dramatically. <laughs> like there are there are large portions of this film where you just go, well, that really does not track. <laughs> it, it doesn't. And similar to you, I'm going to echo something that you've said on a lot of a lot of your guys' reviews is that this would be a great 90 minute film. This would be an absolutely awesome 90 minute film. It's an hour 50, and admittedly, it sort of takes maybe just a step too long to get to the meat of the second part, which is Haley Joe Osman turning into a superhero that, you know, rescues yeah. ghosts. And maybe it could have been a little bit, got there a little bit faster. But you're right, like, it just, it falls apart. And it also becomes a film where, is the twist that good that it makes up for the entirety of the rest of the film? Like, is it, yeah. are you so invested by the end that when the twist happens, when it's all revealed that you're just, like, questioning everything you've seen and known... Is that enough to make up for stilted dialogue or bloody Bruno's yeah. half-cocked performance or not enough Tony <laughs> yeah. Collette or Haley Joel Osmond, you know, delivering a great performance, but at the same time, unnecessary scenes and characters that are around them that are superfluous that don't need to be there. It doesn't make up for that. It's it's a tough question. And it's one that, you know, like if you asked me 21 years ago, or whenever this, 22 years ago, when this film came out, you know, yeah. this is one of the best films you've ever seen. I would have gone, hey, absolutely, this is great, this is amazing. But that's, you know, that's 16-year-old me who hadn't seen a ton of films and has now yeah. watched a bunch more movies and you actually start to see <laughs> some of the flaws in these films and you realise that, man, that doesn't, what is what was that, you know? Yeah. I had forgotten, as you said, the kind of second half to this film, which is, as you say, about him learning to help the ghosts, takes a very similar turn to Unbreakable where Unbreakable, the first kind of hour and a half is, I guess, what you would say the story is. And then there's like, well, and now we have to see that in action yeah, <laughs> where he yeah. goes and, and helps someone. And this, it's a very similar structure in some ways where, yeah, you get an hour and a half of what you'd say is the meat of the story. And then you get this one kind of little side quest where he goes and, and helps this person out, um, Misha Barton. And it's it's just kind of strange. And, and on a rewatch, the kind of- the flaws in the film's own logic, right? Like, the ghosts, even though he's the only one who can see them, they seem to be physical. You know, like, Bruce Willis mm. seems to be capable of holding things. At one point, we see the cupboards open, for example, and we assume it's a ghost. I believe David isn't in the room at that point. That's Tony Collette. But the cupboards all open. You're like, okay, so clearly they can do things. Is there a reason that Misha Barton couldn't just put that tape somewhere for her dad to find? Like, did we did we need that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so she pushed it his- from out from under her bed, but is that the range? Is that like surely if she can only push things about twenty centimeters, what else you got to do? Just like push it twenty yeah. centimeters, come back an hour later, push it twenty centimeters, whatever, and just continue it. And you're right. We saw Bruce Willis smash a glass window, or you know, cr- crack a glass window when he saw his wife ex- yes. hanging out with one of his um, you know, with her workmates or whatever, and looking a bit flirty. 
So, you You're know. exactly right. And that quashes my other theory because I was just about to kind of, you know, give the film the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they can only perform these physical actions when someone like Haley Joel Osment is around, mm. you know. But you're exactly right. He crashes that window. There's, there's, like, the kid's not there then. <laughs> exactly. He's absolutely not. But yeah. the biggest flaw on a rewatch for me is just the logistics around, firstly, there's no way he doesn't realise that he's dead. Like, as you say, they're very <laughs> careful. They're very careful in not letting you know how long it's been. I'd actually forgotten this. That the title at the start simply says The Next Fall, which we don't know when the start of the movie happened. It could be three months later, could be six months, could be a year. We don't know. But not only has his wife not spoken a word to him in that time, like we've seen videos of his wedding and all of his friends and stuff around. He hasn't heard a thing from his friends. He hasn't had a single other client. Yeah. Um, I mean, and then you get to the real crux of it, which is who booked in this appointment for him with this kid? And who is paying him? When when he gets in trouble at school and he turns up, who calls him? How does he know to go to the school? Like, none of this stuff makes any sense in hindsight. And it works so well on a first viewing where you're not bogged down in that stuff. Yeah. But when you know it re-watching later, you're like, how does any of this make any sense? <laughs> exactly. It's the first time for the mystery, second time for the explanation, third time for the, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. starting to see some massive holes that are, <laughs> massive plot holes that my truck is easily going to fall into when I try and figure this film <laughs> yeah. out again. It's just there, there is stuff like that. Like I get there's there's a throwaway line of like the dead only see what they want, only what they or they did only see what they want to see. Like I know he says that, mm. and, and it becomes one of these things that obviously the dead are hunting out this kid because he's the only one that seems to be a conveyance between, you know, the dead world and the alive world because they all seem to be coming yeah. for him. And, you know, Misha Barton travels across town. But then there's another good one where him and Bruce Willis are sitting on a bus and he basically says to him, wow, she came a long way to find me. And he's like, yeah, she sure did, kid. It's like, how the hell did this eight-year-old kid get on a bus and travel from one side of, oh, hang on, yeah, did you, do you know what city this is in? I couldn't tell. I didn't have it repeated at me a hundred fucking times yeah. throughout this entire <laughs> yeah. fucking movie. Yeah, was I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, something maybe? <laughs> God. Yeah, but that's still, how you know it's Shyamalan. He definitely knows it's Shyamalan. It's one of those things, it's like if if... Somebody said to me, where's Casablanca set? I'd probably be like, mm, have a think about it. Where's, where's any M. Night Shyamalan movie? Philadelphia. I, I know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, try give the movie benefit of the doubt. You know, you're like, okay, he's a world-class psychologist. He's just won awards. Maybe Tony Collette booked this appointment in a year ago and, and this was the only slot he had free. But, you know- how did he even know where to meet this kid? He doesn't meet him at his home. He stalks him to a church. That's right. <laughs> and it's just on a rewatch. It's like, well, mate, that's kind of not on. <laughs> Absolutely. And we all know about the price of medical care in America. Like, I don't care how down and out you are as a child psychologist. Like, there's no way Tony Clett, who's working two jobs, is going to be able to afford you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have. I feel bad actually that we haven't even mentioned Ozzy's favorite gal, Tony Collette. I was shocked at how young she was in this film. My memory of Tony Collette, and this might just be because, as I said, I I was Haley Joel Osment's age, so I was a yeah. kid. I remember her being an old woman already in this film. She's only in her early forties now, today. Like she was twenty-seven when this film came out. It's absolutely insane, right? Because. 
the mother from Hereditary is also the mother in this, and there's a 20-year gap or so between those films. Yeah. And yet yeah. they still look the same age. I mean, it's it's not the same as Paul Rudd. No one else is. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, or Nicole Kidman in a lot of ways, but like these the two of the like the Tony Collettes put them side by side. Not a lot of difference. You'd say maybe a year yeah. or two of aging. Like, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. She is Probably one of my favorite actresses of all time, and I hate coming on an Australian podcast to say nice things about Australians. <laughs> so well done, you broke me. But anyway, she she's phenomenal, and her performance in this is just such early signs of the greatness that she would go on to have. Mm. And I just it's it's sad because I feel like she's probably going to go down as one of the best to never win an Oscar, and that disappoints me. But you know, her career's not mm. over yet. Have some faith, Sam. <laughs> yeah, she she is. Um uh, it's funny. I wouldn't say she's underutilized in this film, just because I think what she does with what she has is so great that it just really works. But yeah, I think you know, as a kid, because obviously growing up in Australia, I already knew her from Muriel's Wedding. Yes, um, which I think is why I thought of her as being older than she was, because she was already a household name for me when this movie came out. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it was just crazy seeing how young she was. <laughs> yeah, and. To also have a son that age as well, which would imply that what well, she would have had him when she was like nineteen, which I suppose yeah. the maths adds up in a lot of ways. But you're right, like you're terrible, Muriel. That was, you know, same. <laughs> that was one of those films that, like, uh, okay, okay, yes, New Zealand is devoid of artistic output, hence why my podcast is <laughs> kind of successful <laughs> in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's it's one of these things. Like, you know, we we got a lot of Australian films. We had this. We had you know Priscilla Queen of the Desert. We had quite a few of those other films. Yeah. That when some of these actors go on to bigger, better things, you know, Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce, obviously from um, Priscilla Queen of the Desert. But then to see Muriel like pop up in this and be like, wow, this is phenomenal. Yeah. You know. Oh, we were the same. The amount the amount that I've heard Aussies try to claim, you know, Russell Crowe. You can have <laughs> him, Sam. Sam Neill. Sam Neill is a big one. Like, he has so little to do with Australia. He's very well and truly Kiwi. But the amount of Aussies who I've heard try to claim Sam Neill as ours is crazy. I This will go down um, your podcasting history. I've never talked about this in front of anyone because this is quite embarrassing. But um, some people were talking about celebrities being born in other countries and then claiming that they're from that original country. And I, I made the mention of Sam Neill was actually born in Northern Ireland, but we all consider him to be a New Zealander. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Neill then quote tweeted me and said, my dad was a New Zealander. My mum was Northern Ireland. I was a nurse or something like that. I was born over there, but I've been raised here my entire life. Thank you very much. <laughs> Immediately woke up to about a thousand notifications on my Twitter. I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, because I'd said Anna Panquin was born in Canada, but raised in New Zealand. You know, there was a couple of other like sort of famous New Zealanders that were born elsewhere and, you know, raised here. Woke up to thousand notifications and people just tuning me out. Like, how dare you say anything bad about Sam Neill? He's a national treasure. I was like, fuck, I'm going to delete my like life. <laughs> not, not my Twitter. I'm deleting my life. I'm out. You know. I've, I actually, I forgot that Anna Paquin was, um, was a Kiwi. I mean, fuck, The Piano is a good movie. Yeah, there's a good film. There's an amazing film. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to The Sixth Sense, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, you've mentioned that your score dropped. What was your score originally, and what is it now after a rewatch? I believe that me 20 years ago would have given this like an 8 or a 9 out of 10. It was- Yeah, it's same. Yeah. It was just so revelatory, and it was just- 
I don't know if people, younger people now, would realize exactly how much of pop culture this infiltrated. You know, like, oh. you know, like, I see dead people, uh, what is the Matrix, first rule of Fight Club. These are all the catchphrases, well, not catchphrases, these are all the inane bullshit that me and my friends used to say to each other for no reason, just just, just cause, yeah. you know, but it was yeah. such an invasive part of pop culture at that time that, you know, he's been emulated and he's been parodied, he's had everything done from his work, and he's sort of degenerated himself to never be able to like climb those heights again so it's hard for me not to go well you know it still occupies a special place in my heart but at the same time it's nowhere near a a nine or a ten or eight you know it's nowhere up there anymore unfortunately yeah i i agree completely like it was um not only even at the time like this film remained in the zeitgeist for so long Mm. i mean even here we are 22 years later still talking about it and i bet that this episode will get pretty decent download numbers because like it is it's the sixth sense like you know i believe it's still in the afi's top 100 films yeah. like um I, but again has anyone from the afi rewatched it recently exactly <laughs> it's the same with the imdb score it's an 8.1 out of 10 on imdb how many yeah, how many yeah. of those people that scored it originally have got re have gone back rewatched it and scored it again mm. yeah so i i i agree with you I, I actually found this really hard to score at the end of the day because i like there is so much about it that is so right and so well done and and it's hung around for such a long time it's really hard for me to separate you know, 20 years ago, me from today. So I've dropped it down to a seven. I think if I was being realistic, like if this was, if I was being real about it, it's probably closer to a six, (laughs) but I I can't do that just because of how well put together it is for all of its flaws. It's still a really, really well-made film. Yeah. If I I was considering being a smart ass and just saying a six for the six cents, but I'll, I'll give it a seven as much as I'm belittling it, there is still top quality filmmaking, like you mentioned. Like when me and my wife watched it last night, and from start to finish, we were engaged. You know, and yeah, and it's if a film can do that, that's at least a like semi positive score. The twist was absolutely out of this world to the point that I, I challenge anyone that says that they saw it coming because I don't, I don't believe that. Like, funnily enough this actually spurred on a lot of my cinephilism or whatever you want to call it my love for movies because i remember sitting in the film sitting in a theater watching this with my friends and it was like a sort of like pinball type thing of one after the other of realizing what the fuck was going on and you know there was me yeah. and about five of my friends and one oh my god oh my god oh my god and me sitting there <laughs> the last one to get it and going am i dumb I'm not, I can't yeah. be dumber compared to these guys, you know. And then yeah. the the you know the ring fell off, it rolled, you know, and they're all sort of sitting there going, oh, you know, blah 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 blah. And then when it cuts back, I was like, oh my god, he was dead the whole time. And I said yeah, it out loud, I, and my friends were like, finally, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so I do have that beloved sort of like love of the film and that's what made me go okay i need to watch every single film now so that none of my friends think i'm dumb and i don't know anything about films i'm gonna consume every movie so i will give it to that it did make me a cinephile especially for these like i love twist films i love you know like thrillers and suspense films like this so still a seven still a seven but i'd probably if i rewatched it again i'd probably drop down to a six again yeah. Actually, there's one thing that I noticed on this watch that at the time I was like, is that cheap filmmaking or is this okay? You actually mentioned it earlier, the line where he kind of explains, you know, the dead, they don't know they're dead. They only see what they want to see. Yeah. He 
he doesn't actually say that at the time. You only hear that in the flashback of the scene when he first tells Bruce Willis he sees dead people. Oh, right. It's like, yeah, I noticed that last night. When he first tells him he sees dead people, he just says, I see dead people. And he kind of, he goes into it a little bit that, you know, I see them all around and stuff. But those couple of lines, they only see what they want to see and they don't know they're dead. Yeah. You don't actually hear that at that time. You only hear that in the flashback of the scene, which um, a little a part of me is like, well, that's a little cheap, isn't it? You know, like it is a I little mean, cheap, yeah. Maybe if we'd heard it at the time he supposedly said it, maybe I don't I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. There is that. There is one thing I also want to say is that stellar performance wise wedding ring, by the way, that I mentioned that when she drops it and it rolls from under the chair, does a circle and then lands perfectly. I was like, that is a stellar performance by that wedding ring. <laughs> you know, never work with kids and animals and never work with jewellery is what I heard. You know, for it to roll perfectly, do a circle and stop. I was like, that is just out of this world. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me once again. Um, again, I, I know that you've said this so many times on this show, but tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, just search out Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, and you can find me. I'll be out there in the world somewhere um, on all the platforms, all the podcasting apps. Come along. Our podcast, as I mentioned, we just basically take a film and ask 20 questions about it. It was refreshing to watch this film last night and not to spend the entire time trying to think of what was the biggest dick move in this film or what line from this film I'd hate to hear after sex, because there was a lot of them. There was absolutely a lot of them. But uh, yeah, and thanks for having me on, Billy. I'm always uh, glad to come on here. And uh, I just want you to know, out of you and Tofa, you were never second, ever. Oh, oh, you. <laughs> Mate, you are welcome any, any time. Looking at the calendar of when this is actually going to come out, we're only about a month away from Eternals. So I'm back. You know, I'm back. Yep. Give me back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next week, I'll be joined by the wonderful Julio from the Contrarians podcast. Great friend to both of us. And we will be chatting about another classic throwback. We're, we're talking cliffhanger, my friend. Jesus. Now, there's a cliffhanger to end on. Hey, here's another one to end on. Julio's actually coming on our show. He's coming on to do The Village, another M. Light Shyamalan. So there we go. Oh, it all comes there together. There you go. What a twist. It all comes a twist. Because <laughs> um, Julio, for some reason, has never seen Cliffhanger. I don't know how that happens to a person with such a fantastic movie. But there you go. I've got to admit, though, Billy, there's a number of times that I've heard you saying I've never watched this before, and I'm sitting there going, how has a man ever seen Raiders of the Lost? Ah, uh, nah, nah, <laughs> nah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> never seen Godfather. How's that? How's <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. In the meantime, if you guys want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchthething. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething watch the thing and i'll catch you next week go watch a film <laughs> hang on and tony you gonna get tony Gallette like that how are you gonna forget <laughs> I know. australia's I to... finest actress I know. of all time I, I did her bad i'm sorry um <laughs> oh, and tony Gallette. <laughs>